Hey, it's so good to welcome you to Fields Church Online, and we are so pleased that you've tuned in for this message. No matter what's going on in your world right now, we pray that you come away feeling encouraged by this message. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. Good morning, church. Hi. This morning, both I and, and Adrian will be sharing, I'll be doing the, kind of the message and Adrian will be sharing some thoughts to kind of bring it all together and to lead us and to um, help us to put into action what we're hearing this morning. So please pray for Adrian. He's going to need your prayers this morning because he's, he'll need time to do that. And he's following me. So anybody who knows me a little bit realizes that faith, he's, he's made a a tremendous step of, of, of faith and trust that there will be time in this, after this message for him to do that. So thank you, Adrian. Bless you. As some of you who are visiting might have gathered by now that um, we as a church are in a process of prayer and fasting for two weeks. We started at the beginning of Lent. And we do this every year where we um, set aside certain things in our, in our life to to enable us to better seek the Lord, to concentrate on Him, and to meet with Him. I'm sounding a little bit echoey up here. Is there a possibility just to turn it down a bit, please? Um, Just to simplify the concept of fasting um, for us, I've distilled it. This is a very, very crude simplification, fasting down into three main concepts. When I was looking at that uh, fasting in Scripture, I was surprised at how often people in the Old Testament used to fast when they were in mourning. It was a part of the mourning process. And we don't do that so much today. I think partly because after the resurrection, God has turned our mourning into rejoicing. And we have a hope in Christ that means that death is no longer the end. But there is a future resurrection that we look forward to. Fasting can also be a discipline that helps us in our walk with God to um, be a a regular practice we can put into our lives to to help us better communicate and to um, grow in, in our relationship with the Lord and to develop a deeper prayer life where we're less distracted by things around us, but focusing on God. And there's also... Fasting that comes out of crisis. Those moments when we need breakthrough in our lives. When we're up against it. When we want to really mean business with God. And it might be to do with our personal walk with Him. It might be because of things that are going on in our family or in our work. Where we're really up against it. It might be our health. You, you all have areas where... You face conflict, you need breakthrough. And often fasting is, is a, a means by which people who need breakthrough of God will demonstrate, I'm serious, Lord, I need help, I mean business with you. So I want to look, we're going to look at, um, could we have the first slide up, please, James? We're going to look at a, at, a, at, a, at a man in Scripture and his story this morning where he learned the secret of breakthrough with God in the midst of crisis, in the midst 
of a life and death situation. But before that, I just want to share a little bit about my own journey in prayer. Now, as a, as a young Christian, I really felt the presence of God really closely. Um, when I was learning to, when I was first filled with the Holy Spirit, it was like his presence was there. Whenever I, I cried out to God in prayer, it was like he was there. I was engaging with him. Um, prayer seemed to be answered. It was kind of a vital relationship that was going on. But, but as time went on, that, I kind of lost that vitality to a certain degree. And my prayers weren't seeming to be answered how I, I hoped. And I got to a point where no matter how hard I prayed and how much I poured out my grievance before the Lord, nothing seemed to happen. And I seemed to have uh, an, ability, an inability to move God. And I would say to the Lord, if, Lord, would you do this for me in my life, then, then my life would be happy. Lord, I want breakthrough in this area of my life. Um, I'm depressed. I want to be healed from depression. Please heal me. And I would lay my heart out and pour my heart out to God, and nothing would happen. I, I did um, think about subtitling this message, The Confessions of a Church Elder. Because that's not what you expect to hear from a church elder, uh, somebody who is, um, expresses their inability to move, move God. And um, I don't know, have anybody, is it just me? It's probably just me, but there might be some other people here who have prayed to the Lord thinking, I really need this answer. If God really loved me, he would do this for me, wouldn't he? Any, no, I won't embarrass you. <laughs> A few hands. Okay, we're all not alone. I'm not in this boat together. Whew. But I found that... Um, I was trying to move God by, by trying to magnify the depth of my grievance, by trying to um, get God on my side, as it were, to move him to what I think I needed, to the answer that I thought would set me free or be, be the answer I needed. But before you write me off as a Christian, let alone a church elder, I, I found my prayer life changing from, one, from where I was trying to move God, where God started to move me and to position me into a place and relationship with him where I started to receive breakthrough. And there's a huge, huge difference. And he started to confront me about my whining before the Lord or my moaning before the throne, as if if I moaned enough and I whined enough and I had enough self-pity enough, that would move God. Now, this is just me. I know this won't apply to anybody here, but it showed for me, it was like, Andrew, you're approaching me like a little child, like Noah at the moment. The only way Noah communicate with Katie is by crying. You know, and Katie will respond, won't you, Katie? Your mum, you will. But there's going to come a time when, when you won't respond to Noah crying, when he's 22 years old. <laughs> that won't cut it anymore, will it? You expect a different response as we grow. 
to him in, in how we respond to the Lord and how we see him. We don't need to move God to be on our side. What he is saying to me, Andrew, I am on your side. You've got to see me from that position. And the breakthrough I have for you is not the breakthrough you think you need. It's a better breakthrough. And I'm going to share a little bit more about this. Hopefully I've been speaking to Pastor Richard Ernesto about this because it's such an important area of our Christian life, how we have breakthrough with God and how we approach him. And um, so we'll be looking to do a series about this probably around Easter on this whole area of breakthrough and learning from a guy called Jehoshaphat. Now, I'm going to read you a story this morning. And it's quite a long story, so it won't be up on the screen. So hopefully you all brought your Bibles with you. Good. You've got your, your devices with you. And we're going to read a story um, about Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat is found in a book called Two Chronicles. Now, Chronicles is in the Old Testament. And um, so uh, it's about a third of the way through. There's Samuel, Kings, and then Chronicles. So if you come across any of those three books, they'll give you a kind of um, poster to where Chronicles is. It's a third one along from there. So I'd like you to, as I read this story to you, I'd like you to follow on in your Bible, in your devices. Now, I'm following the tradition that goes back centuries. Paul used to say to Timothy, don't neglect the public reading of the word. We, we do this, this now. We just pick verses out, don't we? Put them up on the screen. But we don't see them in context. We don't, we, 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 we're not um, invested in the story that's going on. So I want us to be invested in this story this morning and the story of Jehoshaphat and what he was facing and what he was up against. And this man had learned a secret to break through with God that positioned him, moved him from where he was to a place of breakthrough. So I want you to be awake when we read through this to see if you can pick up on it. Okay, to see how he prayed to God in a traumatic situation, in a situation that was really, really serious. As bad as, bad as you can get. So, are we anywhere near Chronicles chapter 20 yet? Okay. I'm going to read. I'm reading from the um, New King James Version, but you follow along in, in the version that you have. That's fine. Now, Jehoshaphat was a king. And he was a king. Um, there was a time, do you remember... The, God brought the Israelites out from, from Egypt into the promised land. And then for a number of years, they were under different judges. 
And then they cried out to God, we want a king. We're not happy with what you provided. We want a king. And so God provided them with the king Saul. And then came along King David. And then King Solomon. And after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel was divided into two nations, Israel and Judah. And then about four kings along from there comes Jehoshaphat. And a whole series of kings come and go in this area, in this era, um, time frame. And some of them were described as kings who walked with the Lord, who were basically good or better than average. And then there were those kings who didn't walk with the Lord, and they were the pits. They were really bad, and they led the people really um, in a downward spiral of sin and defeatedness. But Jehoshaphat, on the, basically on the whole, some old things, he was a good king and his heart followed the Lord. So this is the context here. Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And uh, it happened after this that the people of Moab and the people of Ammon and others with them, besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told um, Jehoshaphat, saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazon Tamar, which is En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God uh, of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not the God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple." And cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. But here they are now rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jezeel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all you Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, king of Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid or dismayed. 
because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeril. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korathites stood up in praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, with their voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who would sing to the Lord and who would praise the beauty of holiness. And they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set up ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Mount Seir, they helped destroy one another. And when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked towards the multitude, and there were their dead bodies, fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, and they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day, as they assembled in the valley of Baracha, for there they blessed the Lord. Before, blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place was called the valley of Baracha until this day. And then they returned, every man from Judah and Jerusalem, with Jehoshaphat in front of them, to go back to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. Amen. What a story. I hope you don't mind me reading that all to you, do you, this morning? That's a fantastic story. A great story. Oh, that our lives were like that. That kind of breakthrough with God. And I want to share a few things that I feel the Lord has encouraged me with this morning about how God can position us to break through in God in such a way that we would see those areas alive where we've, we've come to a stop where 
our prayers have seemed to be like a, like a wall before the Lord. Have you, have you ever heard, come across the, the phrase, um, it's okay to moan before the throne? Anybody heard that one? A little bit? Now, I know what some, some Christians have said this. I know what they mean by this is <clears throat> it's, it's okay to be honest with God about the predicament you're in. You don't need to pretend or... or, or um, minimize the, 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 the size of the problem in, you, in front of you <coughs> or, the, or the battle in front of you. And we see that principle in the Psalms where David would, would outline everything that was coming against him. And uh, he would say, everybody's saying to me, there's no hope in God. You know, what, what, there's, not, there's no hope for you, David. It, it's all gone. And, it's, and it's, it's right to do that. But where I have a problem with the, with the term moan is, is in some people's minds it can be misconstrued. And that is that we take the size of the problem and then we turn it into a moan before God. Do you see the difference? We shouldn't, we shouldn't try to move God by trying to build the problem we're in to a moan. And a grievance. So God will, will move on our behalf based on how bad we feel. You look at David in the Psalms. He never does that. He says, this is how bad the situation. But he always um, has in there a but God. But you, Lord, are a shield about me. You are my strong tower. You are the one I look to. He, he, he never turns his complaint into a moan, but he turns his complaint into a praise. Do you see the difference? It's a huge, huge difference. Because God says, I am on your side. We can't move him to be on our side. Can you see that? Blow your problem up as big as you possibly can. And then blow up God bigger. Think of David and Goliath. What a story would that be if, 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 we, if we tried to minimize Goliath? Everybody says he was a giant. Oh, yeah, well, you know, it's, 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 it's all relative, isn't it? You know, he was probably the biggest of his siblings. That's why they called him a giant. It wasn't because he was that big. You know, David was just a boy. Yeah, but he'd probably grown up by then. He was, he was probably really a man. And, and really, it was just a story about one man going out and fighting another, and one died. Where's the story in that? No, Goliath was a giant. And, and, and the Bible doesn't hide that. And, he, and it goes great lengths to telling how big he is, how tall he is, and how strong he is, and the size of his weapons. Don't minimize what you're up against. But remember, God is bigger. And there is no enemy too big for the Lord. And what do we do then when we do that? How do we do that? We do that by praising God. We lift up his name in the midst of the situation and we give him praise because he is with us. 
He is our covenant partner. And he is waiting for us to do that, to step in, to, to meet us in our point of need. He's waiting for our movement to acknowledge him as Lord over our situation. Now, in verse 12, so it's uh, something that kind of uh, surprised me a bit. This is Jehoshaphat when he, was, when he had come to God with his, with his prayer of praise in the midst of an enemy that was coming against him. Now, when, when, when armies come against you in that time, it was, it, was, it was not a polite, hello, how are you doing? You know, we'd like some tribute, please. Just give us some money and we'll go away again. They, they would come to rans, ransack the land and destroy you. Serious, serious problem that, that Jehoshaphat was up against. And he was honest. He said, we're weak compared to these guys because we're just one nation. This is a coalition of nations. The nations around have come together to produce a force that they couldn't withstand. We're not strong enough to fight you. And then he said, and we don't know what to do. It's okay not to know what to do in a situation. Sometimes we think we've got to have a plan for God to bless. We are more sometimes akin to put our, have more trust in a plan that we think God can bless than we do in God himself. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been taken by surprise and you think, and you try to work out in your own mind what you think is the best answer to help you out of the situation? And then you start to pray for God to bless you in that time. Have you done, anybody ever done that? Yes, somebody's honest. <laughs> and we all do that. And it's not necessarily right. Sometimes, you know, God does give us plans. But it's also um, good to say, I don't know what to do because our trust isn't in a plan. It's in our God. As long as he is with us, that's the main thing. Do you know, if you know God is with you, that's sometimes enough. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I have a plan that God's going to bless. Is that what it says? Have I got that right? No. Oh, oh no, it isn't. It's something like, if, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because God is with me. I don't need a plan. I've got God. <laughs> Surely goodness and mercy is going to follow me all the days of my life, wherever I go. He's got a plan. I am God's, God's with me. Do you see how that changes your whole outlook, your whole perspective? Will that change the way you pray? God's with me. Hey, God. See that enemy over there? Yeah, what are you going to do about it? We sometimes put our trust more in the plan than we do in, in God. And we know when we're doing that because we know whether fear is still ruling our hearts. 
Bill Johnson says, um, fear is, is having more awe for the situation that you're facing than you have awe for God. And that quite, that's quite a challenging statement, isn't it? My thought is, another way of looking at fear, fear is a meditation of your future without God. Without him being right there with you. With that thought that will he come through or won't he come through. God is with us all the way. And part of the way God answers our prayers through praise is reminding us that God is with us. Our hope isn't in a plan, it's in him. And the more we grow in Christ, the more we learn to have our confidence in him rather than in a process. So, I think I need to... You know, when, 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 you, um, when you learn a principle like this, it changes your whole expectation of, of, of trouble in life, in difficulty in life. We see, we see the problems that we face as a series of obstacles to overcome, and you look forward to de- that day when there is no more trouble, when you've completely got breakthrough, and everything is nice and rosy and hunky-dory, trouble-free. Anybody looking forward to that? Yes. <laughs> Before Christ comes or after? Because I don't think we will have a trouble-free life until Christ comes. But does that mean we're going to live a life in fear? Every trouble, every difficulty as an opportunity to meet with God's provision. Do you know God's plan for Jehoshaphat? He had a plan for Jehoshaphat. Did you see that? Jehoshaphat praised God, and God came through with his plan, even though Jehoshaphat didn't have one. Who would have planned that the enemy would have ten, ended up turning on themselves and kill, the, and, and kill themselves without having to fight at all? It would, would that have been in your expectation of a plan for your life? That's so out there, isn't it? We wouldn't plan something like that. We might play, say... Lord, may they get a call from another nation. They've got to turn around and go and fight somewhere else. Please bless that plan. And that's the kind of plan I would come up with. And if they had done that, they would have gone away. But there would still be the fear that they could come back again at some point in the future. But God destroyed them utterly so they were no longer a threat to Jehoshaphat. And the spoil. Three days they were picking up the spoil. That's God's plan for our lives. God's got spoil for us in our lives. When I, when I went to um, college, the principal of the college was a keen rugby player. And um, it was compulsory at our college to play rugby. I'd never played rugby before. I hadn't a clue about rugby. So this is all a big learning curve for me. I knew the ball was a different shot. Good, that was about it. And my experience of ball games had not been good. I'm not good with balls. 
I, I, I do not have a good affinity with balls. They don't seem to go where I want them to go. And so I wasn't looking forward to this until I learned that rugby wasn't all about playing with a ball. There's more to rugby than that. And you could tackle people, okay? And, and, and the principal was teaching us, he said, the way to tackle people is to go low and take their legs, right? And because I hadn't a clue about rugby, I thought, oh, okay, well, if that's what you say you do, I do it, you know? Nobody told me then that could be dangerous or a bit, you know, foolish. So I thought, I'll give that a go. And I would go and, and, and dive at somebody and take their legs, and do you know what? They fell over. And it was surprising that when you got your arms around somebody's legs, they fall over. <laughs> it's, it's, it's remarkable. And, and it happened almost every time. But what was more remarkable was that the bigger the player, the same principle applied. It didn't matter how big my opposition was, if I had my arms wrapped around their legs, they still fell over. And it was actually, you heard the expression, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Once you get a hold of a principle in God, you're no longer intimidated by the problems that you face. Here's another opportunity to see what's against me fall. Because God is with me. And I'm, and I'm walking in the principle that God has shown me. There was one particular satisfying afternoon. We were having an, an inter-college rugby match, and the staff were playing as well. And um, Mervyn Chisnell, who was a member of staff, he was a, a well-built lad, and he was on the opposite side, and here was me, a diminutive, a scrawny student. And the situation was, Mervyn had the ball, and I was the last line of defense between him and the touchline. And I could see he was running straight at me. And I could see the look in his eye. He wasn't going to let this measly student get in the way of my try. I've got to keep these students in place. He had that glint in his eye. He could see it. And, and I remembered what the principal had taught me. That was a satisfying afternoon, I can tell you. Oh, dear. He came down. Because I put into principle, without fear, what I'd been taught. And God wants us to do that, to face. And I just want to bring, before I just hand over to Adrian, I just want to leave you with three points to go away with. When Jehoshaphat prayed, in the midst of the trouble, he didn't say, woe is me, but he praised him in three ways. And this is to give you a clue how, to, how, to, how to, to break into the area of... Verse 7. So, in verse 7, he says, Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants... No, sorry. Um, sorry, verse 6. He says... I, O oh Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God in heaven and do you not rule over all the kingdoms and all the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you. First principle, praise God for who he is. Praise him for his attributes. Praise him for his power. 
The next verse, he talks about, um, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to your descendants, Abraham, your friend forever? Praise God and rehearse the things that he has done. Remember the things that he has done both in the lives of others and in your life. When you face trouble, remember how God chose you, how he drew you out, how he saved you. Remember those times God has met with you. Remember the cross that Christ died. And finally, in verse 6, rehearse the things that God has done. And finally, in verse 8, it talks, um, Jehoshaphat talks about praying to the God of temple, the temple where it says, um, pray to the Lord in this temple, and you said you will answer from this temple. Rehearse and remember and give thanks for the promises God has given to you. So praise him for who he is. Rehearse what he has done. Remember his promises, and you will position yourself for breakthrough. And boy, is that satisfying when God does it. When you see that big problem fall, and you see his plan for your life worked out, you will say, bring it on. Bring it on. You know, David, when he faced Goliath, it wasn't, oh, Lord, please help me. I'm such a poor boy. I don't know what to do. He said, bring it on. He's big. He's a big target. I can't miss that forehead with God's help. Bring it on. Adrian. I think that's going to be the uh, catchword uh, if that bring it on. So you've heard the thoughts of the rugby tackling elder at Fields Church. And I think we're all going to remember that. Can I just say it says go high and stop there. Yeah. Our principle says go low when you tackle. God says if you want to break through, go high. <laughs> you, you heard that. So we're, we're encouraged to aim and go high. So that's the thing. So we're going to bring these thoughts together. The children have done fantastic in church this morning, and it's great. I hope they're going to remember to be able to say and to spell Jehoshaphat. I think that's the challenge from this morning. But I want to ask you just a question. Where, where are your eyes now? You see, we've been in this time of prayer, haven't we? And we've been in this time of fast. Some have been doing it every day. Some have been dipping in and out. Some have been doing a social media fast. Some people have been uh, on a coffee fast. Everybody's been doing it slightly differently. But where have your eyes been? Because sometimes, as Andrew's been saying, you know, our eyes can be low. We, we can become moany people. We can almost uh, moan before we seek God and go into God's presence. How difficult has it been for you to pray? You know, sometimes all sorts of distractions, all sorts of things happen, don't they, when God's word is spoken and when we're looking to pray. So we've been trying to be serious about our relationship with God. We've been trying to talk to him and to, uh, l you know, lean in. Ursula recently lost her father and um, there was an occasion when in the hospital uh, ward in the um, area there, it was a close ward, lots of beds uh, in there. And um, 
Ursula and her, was with her sister, uh, with uh, Leanne, I think it was. And um, they said, oh, we're just going to read to Dad. He couldn't say anything, but they just wanted to spend a few moments and open the Word and just thought they'd like to read a passage of Scripture. And, you know, as Leanne started to read, it was like all hell broke out in the hospital wards and in the uh, passageways uh, uh, alongside. I want us to just check our attitude. I want us to check what we're doing if we're leaning into what God wants for us. Andrew told us that it's not about moving God into our way of thinking. So I thought to myself, then I need to ask the question. All of us need to ask the question this morning. Where does or what does God have for me? What does God want for me. Dare you ask that this morning? As we bring things to occlusion, as we go home, as we sit down, can you ask yourself the question, as you've been praying, as you've been asking, as uh, Richard and Esther have been encouraging us to do, to think about the people around us, the people that uh, we're uh, engaging with day to day, our families, our friends, who needs Jesus in their lives? What does God have for me? What does God want for me? And a big question. Can God trust me to pray and to speak for him? Wow. Joshua had a, uh, Jehoshaphat had this tremendous opportunity. He was alarmed. He was unsettled. But he did the right thing, didn't he? He did the right thing. And you know, when we give thanks to the Lord, when we stop and we remember and we pour out our hearts in gratitude to God, rather than just coming here with shopping lists and things on our hearts, when we stop and we thank God, how it changes our attitude, how it changes our hearts. We thank God for the people around us. We thank God for our friends. We thank God that we've got table, uh, food on the table, that we have a family that we're engrafted into. How it changes everything. We have so much to be thankful for. But what are we prepared to do for him? So what is God laying on your heart this morning? What has God, over these last 12 days, as we've been leaning into God, being serious about our relationship with Him, what has God been saying to you and to me? What, God, what is God laying on your heart? And you know, on Wednesday, we in theory stop the fast and we stop uh, the, this uh, time of prayer and leaning on God. But it doesn't stop there, does it? It shouldn't stop there. We need to go on. That's the launch pad. That's the launch pad for the rest of this year. All the things that God has been pouring into our lives, the scriptures, the people. We go from Wednesday to the rest of this year. And we want our friends. How many people are you praying for to come to know the Savior of the world? That's the difference, isn't it? Who is God laying on your heart? Who do you want to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? I still have family that don't know him. 
I still have neighbors that don't know him. We want the heart of God, don't we? We want the heart of God. So I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet if you're able, just as we close this time together. And we're just going to have a few moments. And I just want you to simply just pray for the person on your right and on your left. I love the fact that Ian was talking about family right at the beginning. And we've already been hearing about how God answers prayer. We've been looking at Noah and, uh, and the, the fact of his seven weeks. We've been hearing about a miracle, the way God uh, met with that lady and changed that cancer diagnosis. But we're family. And so just quietly, I want you to pray for the person on your right and then on your left, just quietly before the Lord. I want us to tune into each other to bring the family of God. So let's just pray for those people. If there's nobody directly near you, then just pray for those that are around you. Just very simply, pray for that person. children have been incredible this morning and it's just wonderful to have them here let's just pray and bring the children to him in prayer thank you father for the children So as we come this morning, as we draw to a close, think about what you have to be thankful for. We need to stop the moaning, as Andrew said. We need to give thanks for the people God has brought into our lives. Think about how many people you know and they don't know the Saviour. And God has placed them on your hearts. Are you going to faithfully pray for them to come to know Him? Are you praying for your children that God has blessed you with for them to come to know the Saviour? Romans in chapter 5 and verse 8 says this, but God demonstrates His own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What an incredible Saviour we have who laid down His life for us all. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short. And Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Can I ask you this morning, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and friends, have you come to the cross? Have you understood that when He laid down His life, it was personal? It was for you. He shed His precious blood so that your sins were paid for. He paid the price for our sins and made peace with God. And we can come to know Him this morning because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and friend, 
then please don't leave here without talking to someone concerning that. Come and speak to the prayer team as we draw to a close in a few moments. But don't let the moment pass. Your life is precious. God loves you this morning. And Jesus Christ died for you. So there's a few more days to go until Wednesday. But I ask you, what's going to happen after Wednesday? Andrew's encouraged us to aim high. Let's look up. Let's realize what God we have, that God is fighting for us. Jehoshaphat knew the incredible joy of knowing that God was fighting for him. What an incredible day. What an incredible moment in their lives, a victorious day. And let me tell you that the, our sins wages has been paid by the Jesus Christ. We live from victory, from the victory of the cross. We don't need to be defeated. Whatever it is, maybe there's illness, maybe there are things that are weighing you down. Aim high, look up. Father, as we just come to you, as we just bow our hearts before you, as we close our time together, Father, I pray that we'll lean into all that you have for us. Father, it's not about what we want. It's about you knowing the best for us and we want to for us. We want to lean into all that you have for us. And Father, as the prayer room at 24-7, people meeting together there to pray for Ipswich. Father, we want to pray for our town. We want to pray that this place will never be the same again. And we pray that there will be a tremendous movement of your Holy Spirit in Ipswich, on Fields Church, as we lean into all that you have for us as a church fellowship. Father, move us forward. Help us to aim high. Help us to remember what an awesome God you are. And Father, thank you for this time that we've been able to spend together. And we just pray and leave ourselves before you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please take time to uh, come forward for prayer. But if you just want to... Uh, come for coffee, go to the back and have coffee and talk to someone, but try and encourage someone before you go this morning.